Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to episode 113 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a U.S. Latino show where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. I am your host, Jack Rico, and this week I'm interviewing Javi Morgado. He is the executive producer of CNN's morning news program, New Day, and happens to be the only Latino executive producer in the highly competitive morning news landscape. I spoke to him about why he believes there aren't more Latinos in positions of power in the media industry, such as himself, what he learned from his journey from local news assignment producer to his position today, and why one of the best advices he can give journalism students is to just write. But before I talk to Javier, it's time to give you our weekly news recap on everything Latin X in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Leonardo DiCaprio is in talks to star in Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Oscar winner Rami Malek will be the villain in the new Bond 25. Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson will be starring in a rom-com called Marry Me. New York's Tribeca Film Festival is underway, and the Academy Awards has changed the foreign language category to International Feature Film Award. In TV news, Telemundo's La Reina del Sur 2 was the number one broadcast television show in America at 10 p.m., beating CBS's Bull and ABC's The Fix. Rating slip for Game of Thrones and American Idol, Nickelodeon Greenlight Star Trek animated series, and YouTube TV's Karate Kid spin-off Cobra Kai Season 2 premiered to mixed reviews. Switching over to music, Emilio Estefan is working on a Jenny Rivera documentary with footage from her final concert, Sting Set's 2020 Las Vegas residency, Zachary Levy to host 2019 MTV Movie and TV Awards, Paula Abdul to perform medley of her biggest hits at the 2019 Billboard Music Awards, and retail brand Coach has a new podcast called Dream It Real, and Selena Gomez is their first guest. And in tech and social media news, Facebook expected to be hit with a $5 billion fine. Snapchat jumps to 190 million daily active users. Apple is planning AirPods 3 with a new design and upgrade features. And more sponsors are spending their money on Instagram stories. This is New Day with Allison Camerata and John Berman. We want to welcome our viewers in the United States and around the world. It is a new day here. It is Tuesday, May 29th, 6 o'clock. Here in New York, how did All right, Javi, let's begin with the following. Let me read this off to you because I think it's really important. The executive producer at Morning Joe is Alex Corso. Fox and Friends has Gavin Haddon. HLN Morning Express with Robin Mead has Carrie O'Connor. CBS This Morning has Diana Miller. Uh, GMA has Roxana Sherwood. Today has Libby Leist. And CNN's New Day 
as Javi Morgado. How does a Miami kid of Cuban <laughs> parents make it all the way to become the executive producer of one of the most important and influential morning shows in television right now? Um, I wish I knew the answer, because I don't. Um, I would say- How is that possible? I would say that truly, like hard work are the, one of the like most important things that mom and dad instilled in me. I was just home yesterday um, to see my mom and dad, and both are Cuban-American. They came Do they to, live here? Yeah, they live, in Mi- they live in Miami. They live in Miami, so okay. They both came to this country as teenagers. My dad came, uh, I think, in his final year of high school, and he ended up having a complete high school knowing very, very little English in Alabama, in the Deep South, 1968. Wow. Okay, so dad went to the University of Alabama at the height of the civil rights movement, was called things that we can't say even in a podcast because I don't ever want to repeat them. <laughs> right. Um, and my dad had one job. He was a civil engineer, one job from the minute he finished college till he retired. What did your mom do? Um, and my mom was actually a homemaker in typical traditional Cuban family. You know, mommy's the one that brought us all up and made sure that we were put together and did our homework and did everything. Um, and in a beautiful way, and I'd love to share this story, my mom was our cafeteria worker part-time at my elementary school. So dad had- Was that weird? No, it wasn't weird. So dad had you know, the college degree, and, and my grandparents on all sides never went to college. So my dad was the first in our entire family to do it. Um, and then mom just did it as part-time money, basically. And she worked at our school. And I remember sort of dealing with the realities of you know, people around you saying, wait, that's your mom? And I was fucking proud of it because you know what? Yeah, that that is my mom and mm-hmm. she's amazing. And don't you love her? And isn't she great? <laughs> and and what the two of them taught us by having sort of that juxtaposition of someone completely educated all the way through college and mom who just finished high school and that's it, was to say to us, look, you gotta bust your butt to get to where you're at. And you know, I I'm a firm believer that I don't believe in kissing anybody's butt along the way. You're and not a sycophant in any way. At all. And 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 for me, my work and my work ethic is what really st- stands out. And I think So my, you believe in meritocracy. Yeah, but my dad is sort of like living proof of that, right? You know, he's only worked at one place and he worked for state government designing bridges and highways and he did an amazing job. The three of us have eight degrees combined. Um Wow. Yeah. Eight degrees. I have three. And and for us it was sort of like the constant repetition of you got to study, you got to study. I still remember to this day, my grandpa on my dad's side spent our entire childhood saying to me, tienes que aprender español. And I'm like, why? why? I, I, I don't want to. You know, in Miami, it's a necessity. You cannot live in Miami without speaking Yeah, it's Spanish. occupied land in America in Miami. Absolutely. So <laughs> little by little, I was like, okay, well, I, I want to assimilate and I don't want an accent. And, you know, all the things that every Latino kid grows up, you know, obsessing about. And I, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I, I still remember, I have it at home. It's like an English to Spanish translator <laughs> that he gave me in the 80s. Your and he, dad? And my grandpa. Uh-huh. And he wrote in it, I promise you that this will be the key that opens a lot of doors. Wow. And it's my, my grandpa who only got the fourth grade. And my grandpa on my dad's side uh, was the custodian of my middle school. So talk about like total blue collar work uh-huh. ethic, immigrant struggle just to make it to where we're at. And... Fast forward to where I am today. I mean, I can honestly tell you and look at you in your eyes. I never thought I'd be here. Are you a workaholic? Yes. Admittedly, Is this to, your... to a fault. Mom and dad are like that? <laughs> yeah, to a fault. Um, in, in many ways, it, it was almost like 
you know, if, if I wasn't up at, at the late hours of the night doing a paper or finishing, you know, prepping for an exam, like my dad was really hard on us. Like, you've got to do this. You can't go out. And, and it was sort of like, you know, every other kid had the imagination of wanting to go explore the world. And it was like in, instilled in us that you had to keep, you know, burning midnight oil, reading books and doing this and that. At the end of the day, you know, it, it's a combination of a lot of things. I think there is sort of like, the culture point of pride of like knowing that I'm Cuban American. And I really more than ever at 41 years old, embrace my heritage more than I ever have. I share it with people that in New York don't understand what Cuban culture is like. I love taking people to go eat Cuban food. In Bergen Line, New Jersey? <laughs> huh? I've done the Jersey yeah, Line. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, there's a new place, actually. It's called Pier A at the tip of uh, New York City. And Pier A, it literally faces the um, Statue of Liberty. And it's opened by the guys that run the Dead Rabbit. Um, the best bar in the world. The best bar in New York City, yeah. So they opened a Cuban restaurant on the third floor of Pier A. Get and now that's my here. new watering hole. And so whenever <laughs> I want to take friends to experience Cuban food and Cuban culture, all the art, everything is authentically Cuban. Now, it's really cool. Are your friends, do you have Latino friends or all your friends white? Well, I mean, in New York City, it's hard to have a lot of Latino friends uh -huh. in the sense that, you know, again, look at the conversation you and I were having before we started. Right. You know, is our newsroom surrounded or filled with a lot of Latinos. I wish it was more. I really do. Yeah. Um, was I, that ever a challenge for you? Because, look, let, let's be honest about a couple of things. Yeah. One of the most probably pressing issues amongst Hispanics today is the lack of representation. We just don't see ourselves either on screen. Yep. We don't see ourselves behind the scenes. We don't see ourselves in positions of authority. Uh, and it's hard to help anyone when you're not in a position of power. Yep. So as a Latino, did you ever confront any issues? No. Because of your ethnicity? No. Because of your language, so, because of your background culture? So growing up in Miami and working in local news in Miami, where I got my start, um, I started down there in the mid-90s, which was kind of an amazing time for local news in Miami. I, I, you know, when the I was, Elian Gonzalez. When I was there, news. it was Elian Gonzalez and that whole saga of, I mean, it really got at the core of like who we are as people. So covering news in South Florida, because it's a multicultural, you know, environment, like you don't really experience um, any sort of um, discrimination or, you know, being passed up for jobs or anything like that. Um, I, I still remember when I got the call to New York Thinking, How did you get the call to New York? This is like a joke. So um, I had been in local news down there. I want to say it was about four years and change. And it was because of 9-11 that I live in New York City right now. So the attacks were unfolding that morning. I wasn't even on the job at the time that the attacks happened. I was still at home. In New and York? Within the first two hours of me being there, I got a call saying, hey, uh, listen closely. This is so-and-so from NBC in Washington. Um, we need your help in finding where some of these hijackers were from. And I'm like, hijackers? And so I spent probably the next three weeks just helping the network cover a national story and international story. And so it was because of that that then I got a call saying, hey, do you ever want to come up to New York? And I said, for what, vacation? <laughs> like I, I was that naive in thinking that... Now, this was NBC. Yeah, that you, something yeah. I was doing at a local level could get noticed. And that's kind of, it goes back to what I was saying about my dad. For me, you know, if you love journalism, and, and for me, it's sort of like an insatiable appetite for what happens in the world and a curiosity that just can't quit. You know, I've never done drugs. It's the drug, it's the drug habit I don't have. <laughs> you know, knowing what's happening in my world is what I thrive off of. 
and I had that from a very early age, and that curiosity just little by little has built this pyramid that I'm now sitting on top of at CNN, and it's an awesome responsibility, and I've had many people along the way. I still remember the day that I got the job at the Today Show, so now I'm fast-forwarding a couple years later. Um, you were the supervising producer at yeah. the Today Show, so and supervising producer, from what I understand, is a producer that is in charge of many producers. Yeah, so I basically assigned all the producers at the show, everything from the pieces they would do, the segments they would produce, approving things. So it was everything from a menopause segment to you know a political thing, mm-hmm. um, and that's the gamut that the Today Show sort of covers. And so I still remember, like my first couple weeks, I made a point of saying to my boss at the time hey, I, I really want to go to all of our bureaus because if I'm going to be telling people what to do, I want to I meet them face to face. And I remember going to D.C. and probably one of the most humorous bits of advice that I ever got was when I met with Tim Russert, the legendary <laughs> meet course. the press moderator who had this like... May he rest in really peace. ...really cool buffalo charm. And <laughs> I, I, I get to Tim's office. I've never met him. I've only talked in his ear when he was on the show. And Tim says, come in, come in, make yourself at home. And I was like, sure. I mean, I'm in Tim Russert's office, wow, right? Man. And Tim's like, so how does it feel? And I'm like, what, the job? <laughs> I'm like, nerve wracking. I'm literally just trying to meet everybody. And he goes, I have one bit of advice for you. And I go, what is it? He goes, don't fuck it up. <laughs> that sounds like Tim Russert, by the way. And I still remember, I, I was like, wait. Thanks a lot for the pressure, Tim. This guy's so relatable. I, that that was his advice. Just don't fuck it up. Like make wise decisions, think through everything, and if you do that, you're not going to screw it up. And so it really just got me to think about okay, management style. Make sure that you're you know in touch with people, relatable. It's not easy to always give hard feedback, but when you need to, just do it. Do it honestly. Do it from a place of like, hey, I'm helping you try to be better, and then you're there. And are so you here we are. are you a natural born leader, manager? I don't know about natural born. I've certainly been like, I've benefited from a lot of management training. So when I was at NBC for my 11 years there, they really did a cool job of, because they were owned at the time by GE. Mm. GE at the time, not so much today, um, was sort of like the management, you know, holy grail. And if you go to business school, and I did, It's what you study. GE was amazing at training managers and executives. And so I went to a lot of management training things, both within NBC and at GE. I read that you went to the Kellogg class, which is... I did a media management training thing at Kellogg for two weeks. And this is like an exec program. And then I did a different one at Harvard. Yeah, my wife did did, did that too. Look, to me... You know, if you said to me, like, what is your family and, you know, everything you've learned along the way taught you, knowledge is power. And and right. for me, you know, every time that I could continue going to school, if I could go to school today, I would. Right. But instead me I too. teach because <laughs> I just, I can't, I, like, I just don't have the time anymore. You and, teach you know, at Columbia uh, yeah, University, Yeah, so I teach right? grad students at Columbia. So I'm teaching reporting and producing to the next generation that's going to follow me. And How many of those are Latino students? Um, every semester out of about 19 or 20, about three or four. Um, Still low. And believe it or not, they're, they're among the best success stories I've had in the three years I've been teaching at That's Columbia. great. Yeah. Um, one of them is a reporter right now at WABC, so the number one station in the market here in New York. Um, and Miguel was my student last semester. I have another who is uh, a reporter in Texas. And so for me, it's almost like, okay, I've made it. 
I've been at you know the top of my show for a couple years now, and so I see it as my responsibility. And I think this is sort of like where the immigrant lesson sort of yes. bleeds through me, which is like give it back, right? A lot of people helped me along the way, and I am so grateful at every step of my career. I had people that believed in me when I did do something wrong. They taught me what I screwed up and explained it to me so that I wouldn't do it again. And it's sort of like those tough moments that to me have made me the guy that's sitting in mm-hmm, front of you and mm-hmm. not, you know, some guy that just keeps jumping from one job to another. Right. In fact, I, I've only worked at like three or four companies my whole life. It's not a lot um, in my 41 years on this earth. But I've had a lot of fun along the way. And I've, I've realized that what I love to do is give back. And I mentor a lot of Latino journalists that are coming up uh, along the way. I'm very involved in NAHJ, the Hispanic Journalist Group. Um, and I, I really take it to heart that I know that my time soon will come up and whenever that is and for whatever's next, I, I just know that my legacy needs to be that I'm helping those that are going to follow me. You're listening to the Highly Relevant Podcast. For two years, I've been interviewing Hispanics who have changed our America in one way or another through their contributions in music, film, and media. But for many of them, the road just has not been easy. As Puerto Rican actor Carlos Ponce shared with me on episode 101, he once had to thicken his accent for an audition. I am too Latino to be American. I am too, uh, I look too American to be Latino. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've had to fake an accent or, or thicken my accent just to go audition for something. Listen to all our interviews in the Highly Relevant podcast available on Spotify, Pandora, Luminary, Apple, and other audio streaming devices. Now back to my interview with Javi Morgado. So you were at the Today Show, and at any point did you start noticing, because this happens to me when I go to Broadway shows. Yeah. I look back, and I don't see anyone that looks like me. And what point did you start noticing that you might be like an outlier, someone like a unicorn, like where is the rest of us? And did that at any point influence your perspective? Did it shift the way you uh, see the newsroom? Uh, Did it galvanize in some way the ability to try and um, have like equal footing with the Latino community? I'm going to give you sort of what I hope is a different answer because I feel like a lot of times people answer these questions and they can be so like uh, about just being frustrated with reality. I look at it as a different way. So the way that I see it in a newsroom, it's an orchestra, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of pieces that it takes to cover the news on a daily basis. And I wish sometimes some of my favorite instruments are the piano, the sax, the guitar, are you I wish, a musician? No. Okay. I, I wish sometimes, but I, I'm a music enthusiast and I love right. to go see classical music all the time. I wish sometimes there were more of that when I go see music. Mm-hmm. But even if it's one piano, that one piano has a very loud, you know, sound that, mm-hmm. that can power through a hundred instruments, you know, on a stage. And I always saw myself as maybe being that one instrument. And it's okay at the time for me to just, okay, so fine. Nobody behind me that looks like me? Okay, I'm going to fight for (laughs) covering these stories and explain to people why it matters. Working at a place where I know that I have a boss that is from Miami, he's Jewish, and he understands sort of Latin America and the importance of it. You know, CNN right now has a a full-time bureau in Are you talking about Jeff Zucker? Yeah. Yeah. Jeff knows the Latin American community in a big way. So he knows what matters to Cuban people. He knows what matters to Mexican Americans. He knows what matters in Puerto Rico. That's one story we haven't let go of. 
Um, and for me, it's still one of the stories I'm most proud of in covering in my time at CNN because every time we wrote copy for that story, and maybe it takes the sensitivity of someone who's Latino to know it, mm -hmm. um, I would write three million Americans are without power on the island of Puerto Rico. I didn't say 300 or three million Puerto Ricans because I needed to remind the audience in my unique sensitive lens mm -hmm. as a Latino that they're Americans, right? You know, that that's part of our country. It's and true. when you're there, it may feel like a Caribbean island, mm -hmm. but it's part of America. And so, you know, when we say, well, they can't get their shit together or, you know, they had problems before the hurricane. Yeah, there are a lot of places like Detroit that had problems before, right. you know, Flint, Michigan happens or something. But you got to have that sensitivity of knowing, okay, maybe there were some economic issues there before, but that doesn't mean that two back-to-back -back hurricanes that completely incapacitated that island doesn't mean it doesn't need help. You know, there's a lot of lawmakers. Rick Scott, a Republican former governor that's now a senator, is one of the biggest people beating the drum about Puerto Rico. And that's not the traditional you know, political demographic oh, that's going to help yeah. them. So if, if you have people like Rick Scott and Marco yeah. Rubio and others fighting that fight every day, like people need to listen. So did you ever find yourself, um, whether it was supervising producer of the Today Show or executive producer at CNN New Day, yeah. um, friends, family, oye mijo, por favor, Échale unas historias ahí, por lo menos Latina, or something like that. Have you felt pressure from your own community to include more Latino stories? That way they can tune in and feel part of the network. Because I think one of the problems about Latino viewers is that everything is non-Hispanic for the most part. Yeah. And there's nothing for you to put your flag on or connect with. It's not my network, right? It's what you keep on hearing. It's not my network. I, I, you know, I don't relate to it. Um, and then secondly... The biggest problem, I think, is you make it seem so effortless mm -hmm. to be a producer in this business, but we know that that's not the case. What is the wall that is not allowing other Latinos yep. to reach the places and positions that you've had? Okay, so I'll start with the first one. I would say, as far as pressure to cover stories, I feel pressure from everybody <laughs> every day. Uh, my inbox looks like something that would probably make you hurl. <laughs> How many emails you get a day? God, man? thousands. Uh, it's really? insane. It's really hard to keep track of. Wow. In fact, when it's something personal, I always tell people email me at home. I can't believe you emailed me back to do this podcast, right, man. It's a, and did Thank I, you. Did I not switch to texting real quick? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> It's probably the best way to yeah. communicate with Email's you. too hard. So <laughs> what I would say is I feel pressure from everywhere, but I look at... I look at the full landscape. So the first hour of my show, my, my show's three hours, is seen around the world. So it's carried by CNN International around the world. So if you're in Dubai, Tokyo, you know, somewhere in Latin America, you see the Any first airport. hour of my show. Yeah. Right. Anywhere in the world. And so that first hour is really where I try to customize the show to be a little more international than our domestic audience mm. is used to. That's the power of what CNN can do. And I can do that in Venezuela, in Puerto Rico, in Mexico. So you have carte blanche to include any Latin American story that you want. Totally. I mean, that's that's sort of the the power of the positions that we're in, right? When you're an executive producer, 
you have editorial control of your show, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, unless I'm being pressured to go cover a specific story more than we are, like it's totally because I think that that's th- that's that's a thing that I think amongst Latinos in the media business says we need to have our executive producer, a Latino guy, in this mainstream you know newsroom. That way, he can uh, include more stories yeah. about Latinos and include more reporters about Latinos. But you don't feel any pressure to do that. I don't. So part of my job too, unofficially, is when we do recruiting. Um, around the country, whether it's at industry conventions or we do smaller workshops around the country to try to recruit producers, writers, um, specifically that are diverse. Um, I see it as part of my job mm. to be an ambassador for the company to try to hire so more you're an, people. So you're a champion for the Latino community. Yeah, so our head of diversity at CNN is Latino. He was actually my first news director when I was in Miami. His name is Ramon Escobar. I know Ramon um, Escobar. Is he still yeah, at CNN? Yeah, Ramon okay. is fantastic. And so He used to work over at Telemundo. Ramon's done an amazing job in hiring Latino talent at CNN. So I counted before I came here because I wanted to be sure I had my numbers right. We have over 12 correspondents Um you know, Jim Acosta at the White House, mm-hmm. Boris Sanchez, who's also Cuban at the White House, Ana Cabrera, who's an anchor for CNN on the weekend. Ana Navarro. Yeah, Ana Navarro as a, as a political pundit. You know, we've got a lot of people that we've done. You know, our, our chief, you know, justice correspondent right now, Evan Perez, is one of the best in the business, breaking every little bit of Mueller. You know, so we're now represented much more, at least at CNN, um, than I think at most networks. But I think to your other question about breaking through, it's really at my level, right? So that's where the power is, Javi. We, we, we can do, you know, hiring producers and writers and, and talent, but it's really at the decision making level where I think the wall exists. And I don't think it's something that someone is building intentionally and saying, you can't cross this. But I think as an industry overall, we can do so much better. And I know that that's a saying that's overused. Um, but I like to sort of lead by example and keep showing people, look, if I've been in charge of my show for five years, I must be doing something okay, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, why can't there be other people that look and sound like me in these positions, whether it's at, you know, my network or others? Like, we need to have more. And I think for, for us to be good journalists, you need that unique lens of knowing the community. Right? Yes. So for me, like, when I cover things in Haiti... I want to have people that are fucking, you know, Haitian, that are part of the process of telling that story. Otherwise, it's like, what, we're just all parachuting in and covering a story and pretending like we know the nuances of it all? That's no. What it, yeah. You need people that are involved in those communities and know it or have descendants of parents, grandparents that are from there, right, that understand what's going on. When Natalie Morales left the Today Show, yep. it, it, it left morning television anchors without a Hispanic face. Absolutely. Today, when you look at every single morning show, from cable to streaming to broadcast, there is not one single Latino on morning television. Yeah. Outside of a contributor once in a while, you yeah. know, that pops in and out like myself. But why is that? Why is why is why is morning news allergic to Latino faces? Um, I wish I knew the answer. Um, I if you ask me to sort of categorize Is it, it that there's no talent? No, not at all. I would categorize it as shameful. Um, and, and simply that. I mean, it's an F for every single network in our business. So how do we do better? There's no reason why we can't find, you know, a Latino talent at every network and have them be part of an ensemble, a lead reporter. You know, luckily for us, like I said, Jim Acosta at the White House is a very prominent Cuban-American face mm-hmm. that's confronting Donald Trump every single day and has become, in many oh, yeah. ways, a target of the president because of that. Um 
But I, I mean, to answer your question as far as like, why can't we do better? Um, I wish I knew the answer because I know that I am constantly suggesting people in our industry. And, you know, Natalie was such an amazing colleague to work with at the Today Show and, and did so much. And thankfully, she's staying on as a contributor, even though she's not at Access Hollywood anymore. So she's still going to be a part of the Today Show family, but she's not part of the main desk, right? Because she's now living in L.A., but I feel like there is so much that we can do. So in, in this moment of reckoning that we've had with executives, you know, and not having enough female representation, and that moment is finally here, where I'm proud to say that all three women are standout executive producers, right, in, in their own right. And I think that they're really leading to change that those newsrooms desperately needed. The good old boy networks are done. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope so. Um, and so now it's sort of like, and it's not just Latinos, right? We we need more people of color, of every color. Asian Americans are poorly represented mm-hmm. on network television. Uh, African Americans still continue to be poorly represented. Granted, they're probably doing better um, than they you know were maybe ten years ago. But Latinos are woefully underrepresented in, in network in almost, TV. Yeah, in almost every category yeah. uh, in mainstream. What do you want to do in the future? Have you thought about it? Is this the peak of what you is this the dream job that you always wanted as a kid or do you still have a lot more to to climb um i'd like to be an idealist and think that the sky's the limit um i never thought like i told you before that i would even be sitting in the shoes that i'm sitting in right now and doing the job that i do never thought i'd be at the today show and so i feel like if i keep my hustle going of just you know busting my butt focusing on the journalism hiring the right people, ensuring that my own newsroom looks like what America, our, what, what our audience looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think if I carry that imperative forward and no matter what job I do, that I'm going to do fine. Um, and so like the what's next, I really don't have the answer to that one. Um, I sure as You hell, must have dreams. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm living my dream and I, I, I truly believe that. I mean, when I go home and, you know, I'm, going back to my university in two weeks to get a big award at the University of Miami. Congratulations. And I'm just like, you know, I, it, it's the realization that, damn, I'm the kid that made it. Like, you know, and and it's not lost on me. And and I know that that's an amazing responsibility to carry, but I, I feel like I, I take that every single day that I have my job. And, you know, Al Roker was like one of the people that gave me so much advice, you know, throughout He's my lovely time like that, isn't he? And Al's like, never take it for granted. Every day that you're in this job, and Al's been in, in his job, you know, for 40 years. Yeah. Um, don't take it for granted that you're at the top of the heap as a person of color. And it's so true. You know, like for me, I love to think that I'm a valued player in the people that determine what happens on CNN every day. Um, but we need more of me. We just do. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that my responsibility, at least in the short term, if I can continue to help attract top tier talent that are diverse, not just in ethnicity, in political viewpoint, we don't hire enough people that are conservative mm-hmm. in our business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really take that to heart because it's really hard to cover an administration like this or even the Bushes and say that we're you know, entirely not biased. I mean, you have to have people that represent those viewpoints in a newsroom. Granted, every journalist is supposed to not take a political stance on anything. But my point is you need to have people that have that sensitivity of knowing, wait, I know how this plays in a red state. You know, Mm -hmm. I've hired people from, you know, 
really red states lately. <laughs> and it's, it's intentional. And you want to have, again, a newsroom that reflects the country. It can't just be all about that type of diversity. I think it has to be everything, right? Right. And last question, um, as a professor, as a teacher, yeah. as a mentor, uh, as an experienced veteran already in this business who is Latino, what advice do you have for the new generation of Latino journalists that have been looking at the data, man, and they look at that and they go, I'm not going to be accepted at NBC, at ABC, at CBS. I don't have a job in this marketplace. They don't want me. I'm going to go do something else. What do you have to say to them? Why should they stick to it? I would say the best advice that I give in class, and this is almost on a weekly basis, is there is no longer a traditional path to anything. And I feel like if you feel like you have to go down, you know, if you want to be an on-air reporter, let's just say, and go to a small town market and, you know, that's what it used to be. Hustle there yeah. and then go to three other markets. and Before you get to New York. That's the way it used to be. Um, is anything the way it used to be? No. So I'm certainly not a traditional guy that got to be an executive producer by following any kind of a traditional path. I started. It was out, all organic. I started out on local news on the assignment desk, understanding the functionalities of a newsroom, helping move you know resources and people, starting to you know approve editorial stuff, writing, 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 writing. That's the one thing I keep stressing in class. It's all about the pen or the typewriter or you know the keyboard. That is your for, sword. For me, the the greatest gift I've got is the ability to write. And I write every day. I still write every day. I rewrite pieces on my show every day. It's the one muscle I don't want to lose, the ability to know that I can flex it. And mm -hmm. it's tough. It's tougher than any muscle on my body. <laughs> um, but it's really like chart your own path. Don't accept no for an answer. Because I know so many people. Ariana Huffington is a great example of somebody that didn't take no for an answer. 19 times she was told no by banks to her proposition to do the Huffington Post. She couldn't get a loan. And on the 20th, she got it. And so I'm a big believer in when somebody tells you no, use that as your strength. Don't feel dejected and walk away. No problem, I'll prove you wrong. And keep going and keep fighting and keep hustling because so much of this business is a hustle. A lot of people want to do what I'm doing. I recognize that, right? So when I have students in class, I'm basically trying to get them to see their own possibilities and their, and their own reality and then come up with a plan B and C, right? So if it doesn't really go the way I originally wanted to, maybe there's another way to get it, right? You wanted to create a podcast. You probably kept fighting until you just did it, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so much of, of the path of a journalist is running into that resistance and where you feel it's a wall, it's just a speed bump. Get over it. Move on. Go to the next place. No problem. But for you know, I've been very lucky in that I've worked, you know, mostly at mainstream media companies that have very big budgets and the ability to do a lot of things. So I realize, you know, the struggle that people have working in smaller newsrooms. It's not easy. And 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 I know how hard it is, but people have to also sort of realize their own self-worth. And I think too often we feel like we're not worthy of something. I certainly felt that when I got the call to New York. I like it's like it's too big for you. Like I, 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 when I got this job, I felt like maybe I couldn't do it, and I had to believe in myself. And I feel like so much of the struggle of a, a, a journalist of color is just looking in the mirror and say, "I can do this," and that's just, the hard and, part. And man. just believe it, right? Believe it, but you got to be able to do it too. Yeah, yeah. Right? You got to follow through. So you know. 
and, and for me, like if, if there's any cautionary tale, it's like, A, forget tradition. <laughs> <laughs> At least following a career path, it's over. But like, car- you know, carve your own path and, and bust your butt. And like I said earlier, knowledge is power. Like I couldn't go to school enough. I spent... I don't know, seven years at NBC going to grad school at night and studying while I was covering the Iraq war. I was covering a presidential election in 2004 and finishing my MBA at night. And I would sleep three hours and I'd go back and do it again. But that was that immigrant struggle that I described that my mom and dad had to instill in us that anything you dream of is possible so long as you work for it. No one's going to give it to you, right? No. It, it does require money, and if you don't have the money, then find it, right? If you have the academic credentials, you can get it. I support the Hispanic Scholarship Fund. I support NAHJ Scholarship Funds. Like, those are all things where I feel like along the way I got some benefit, and I've paid it back more than tenfold because I know what it's like to get that little 500 bucks or 1000 bucks that can help you get there, and maybe you can't make ends meet and your parents don't have the money, but you can't give up. You just can't. Javier Morgado, thank you for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Thanks so much. And before I head out, here are three Latin tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Medellin, Madonna featuring Maluma. Con Calma Remix, Daddy Yankee and Katy Perry featuring Snow. Calma, Pedro Capó featuring Alicia Keys and Farouk. That's it for episode 113 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Javi Morgado for being on the show this week. And next week, I will be interviewing Broadway choreographer Sergio Trujillo on his new show, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, The Life and Times of the Temptations. If you'd like to support the show, please spread the love on social media and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me on Instagram at Jack Rico and my Facebook page at Jack Rico 40 Remember, it's only through your support that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.